Started at the bottom, now I'm here. <laughs> You've had fish and chips. <laughs> I'm not completely ignorant, people. I never have to think about this again. <laughs> Welcome to Up Yours Downstairs, the podcast that's rather a wow. I'm Kelly Anakin. And I'm Tom Schneider. We are properly married. The one that got away. <laughs> There are a lot of good lines in this one yeah, for yeah. that. Mm-hmm. I was like, ooh, what's he going to choose? Uh, yeah, I, I had <laughs> options. <laughs> All right. So this is The Crown Series 1, Episode 9. I didn't even have to have you like no, help you, me. You I got, it. I figured, yeah. Guys, ever since I started working again, things were really looking up. Uh, you don't have that numerical dyslexia? I don't have – that's not true. Well, I know. Because the other day I was doing stuff on my calculator and I was like – these were all the wrong numbers. Like, I knew what the numbers were that I wanted, and I didn't hit them. So, no. you tell me. I, yeah. Anyway, uh, this is my favorite episode. Okay. This is, like, my absolute favorite episode of this show. Yeah, um, that's totally fair. I'm not sure if I like it better than Pride and Joy, but I might. Uh, that's yeah. also, listen, I feel like... If you're going to have a favorite, it should be one of those two. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I accept that you have different opinions. (laughs) Thank you. Because I've grown as a person. (laughs) You have. Um, (laughs) Not just from side to side. Anyway, (laughs) uh, these are the jokes. (laughs) Did you know it was just Eating Disorders Awareness Week? Uh, Apparently, they're not doing a good job because I did not. They're really not. And also, it's like, shouldn't we have more than a week? Like, considering how widespread this problem is and the fact that, like, card-carrying eating disorder having people don't know about it? Yeah, a week is really the worst. You should either have a day or a month. Yeah. Because if it's a day, everybody will focus on that. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, everyone hates women. Well, uh, yeah. I did read a good article about how, you know... Eating disorders are not just an exclusively white woman problem. Mm. And I was like, that is true. In my various treatments, there's all people from all backgrounds mm-hmm. uh, and gender identities. Yeah. So, uh, Speaking of everybody hating women, we have reached our goal and we will be covering Pride and Prejudice. Yes, we have and we will. Thank you so much to cousin – was her name Marianne? Ah. I think it <laughs> we, was. It was Marianne. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. So Marianne – up her pledge. We got there. Somebody else pledged 10 bucks. We're rolling in it. We're not actually rolling in it. Please yeah. keep donating. Uh, <laughs> divorces are expensive. There's something weird going on with the tax department right now. Yeah. Listen, we need your Patreon dollars. Don't stop giving. <laughs> but because so many of you have already given, we are finally going to cover what has easily been the most requested thing. Yeah. Um, you could always tell when somebody was new to the podcast because they would write in. They'd be like, just found your podcast. Hey, do Pride and Prejudice. And you'd be like, no. Yeah. But now we say, yes, we will do it. Yes. Um, yeah. So we're figuring out the timeline on that because it's a six-parter. Right. Um, so that'll be separate from the regular feed. Right. FYI. Anybody who is a Patreon supporter – i.e. if you have donated $1 or more, right. you will have access to that, mm-hmm. which is a big deal for all you $1 people because you've been shut out. <laughs> That's right. We haven't given you anything <laughs> except for Whalecast and a couple – was it uh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend was free? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so there's some, there's some free stuff. Yeah. But like 
the really good stuff mm-hmm. has costed five dollars. So right. if you are still not a Patreon subscriber, you're gonna want to get a dollar in at least mm-hmm. uh, to check out what we have to say about Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. Uh, spoiler alert: It's gonna be a lot. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, so. Given that fact, we're not sure of the timeline yet on when that will be available because it was just going to take a lot of time. Yeah. Um, but time well spent. Well, you watched it last night, so yeah, I feel like that's going to make me feel like I have to watch it mm-hmm. and we're going to just get the ball rolling. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, this is sort of like unconscious peer pressure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes. You can also follow us on Twitter at five Maggie Smiths. I've been feeling very sad because I feel like we've really stagnated on Twitter. Uh, I know I'm not really doing anything to help that. But <laughs> if you could just follow us, it would make me happy. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook. We're up yours, comma, downstairs, exclamation point. Mm-hmm. And if you want to send us a telegram, we are going to be doing a, the crown telegram roundup. That's right. Uh, once we finish episode 10, which will feature special guest Red Scott. I mean, as promised, it's really just you know an embarrassment of riches yeah. right now. Yeah, it's just crazy. Agreed. There's never been a better time to listen to this <laughs> Downton Abbey podcast than when Downton Abbey is over. <laughs> That's right. Although Baron Julian, when is he gonna die? <laughs> I mean, honestly, this is. I mean, I guess I should like respect him and like be like, wow, like he's you know. Here's here's a guy, here's a guy who's really you know optimistic in his old age. I'm like, are you cryogenically freezing your brain? Like, what are you doing, man? Yeah, look, he can say whatever he wants, just like James Cameron can say he's going to make like 20 more Avatar movies. I, fuck, who do I hate more, James Cameron or Julie, James Cameron? Yeah, clearly. I mean, even though he did give us Titanic, <laughs> right? The good one. The, that's right. <laughs> Oh, man, I heard a comedian telling a joke about that. Uh, I think it was Roy Wood Jr. on his mm-hmm. new album. Uh, he's talking about how great that dick had to be because <laughs> he fucked her one time <laughs> 80 years ago. <laughs> and she went out all the way in the middle of the ocean like just to tell these people how good the dick was. <laughs> Roy Wood Jr., father figure. Uh, get that or something. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Listen to it on Laughly, the app I now work for. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, everybody download that too. You've got a lot of homework. <laughs> uh, but so do we. And specifically, we need to recap this episode. What? Yeah. Okay, I guess we better do that then. <laughs> That's right. All right, so this episode is called Assassins. Yeah. The only thing I don't like about this episode, at the beginning it says London, 1954. And I'm like, this is real inconsistent. Yeah. Like, either you say this at the beginning of every episode that's set in now. Right. The now of the show. <laughs> yeah. Or you don't. And yeah. then there's like a, you know, a, you know, where are they now thing at the end when yeah. there's not on any of the rest well, of these there's, episodes. There's one other one. Oh, the fog. The fog. Yeah. But so they do it t- twice out of these nine episodes, yeah. not on the other set. It's like, like you know, I'm sorry you're not doing a second season about the fog and this painting, <laughs> but I would watch that. <laughs> the, the fog go- and this painting. <laughs> it's the ghost of Venetia Scott and the ghost of this painting. <laughs> Just hanging out, solving mysteries. Yeah. Just talking about how much Churchill sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I was relying on him to save me from the fog. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I imagine that that painting sounds no, like. I mean, kind of a mixture of the penguin and Mrs. Patmore. <laughs> the penguin and Mrs. Patmore. Boy, listen. 
We know we're not going to make these spin-offs, so let's just get into this. That's all right. So we hear pop music. Yeah. Uh, which is always jarring on this show, even though, like, yeah. rock and or roll has been invented by this point. Right. Even though It simply hasn't been stolen by white people. Yeah. I mean, it's set, this is the exact setting of Call the Midwife, which does that on every episode. It does. So. I like how they try to be called the Midwife here. <laughs> yeah. Um, a lady in a fur pulls up in a car to a fancy restaurant and asks for Lord Porchester. Uh, he's at the bar where she greets him, mm-hmm. and she greets him as Porchy. And at their table, uh, Porchy asks if the, fa- if the place isn't faintly ridiculous, but he supposed it was the sort of special occasion place that one came if one had a special question to ask. Oh, he also says that it's his two least favorite things, central London and fine dining. Yeah. And I'm like, you own a tuxedo. You can't hate it that much. <laughs> Uh, anyway, he pulls out a ring box and he says, at this moment, I wish I were a poet, not a horse breeder. So do we. <laughs> that was lame. <laughs> that, <yeah. laughs> like, could you not have hired a poet? Right. That's what I'm, saying. I'm like, you own a tuxedo. You probably own Lord a poet. Porchester. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> probably own a poet. Yeah. Don't you have a hermitage like in Arcadia? Come on, dude. Yeah. Anyway, he's adorable. He's, like, very nervous about this. But his lady friend looks not at all excited about this. Yeah. She doesn't look surprised. She doesn't look fearful. She just looks, like, mildly dismayed. Right. And uh, I'm like, oh, poor, she's about to get burnt. Yeah. Because he says, because she's like, what is she? She says, oh, Porchy. And he says, oh, is that a no? And she says, no, 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 no. And he's like, that was 12 no's. No, and I'm like, I'm Team Porchy here. I'm like, he may not be a poet, but he's a human being. <laughs> he knows what the word no sounds like. Anyway, her American accent is keeping her warm, mother. So bad. Yeah. This is one of the worst ones we've heard, I think. Yeah. I mean, luckily she has, I think, that one line. Yeah. Two lines? She does have at least one more line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she's just so awful. Yeah. And she doesn't look American in her face. Yeah. She has that very, like, Emily Mortimer look, you <laughs> yeah. know, where you're like, oh, you're very clearly British. Like, there's something about the bone structure. Like, yeah. you don't pass at all. <laughs> You've had fish and chips. <laughs> We've all had fish and chips, Tom. It's Lent. <laughs> I've... I gave up my snooze button for Lent, which means that I have not used a snooze or some variation thereof for one day. <laughs> there have been more than one day in the last part of Lent that I'm referring to. <laughs> right. Listen, don't you worry about this. <laughs> anyway, uh, American accent lady is like, uh, all right, listen, I'll marry you if you promise me that you don't hold a torch for her. And Porchy's like, who? Oh. And he's like, oh. Her. Proving that once again, uh, Liz is the Ann Veals of this show, begging the question, why would you build an entire show around someone who's the fucking queen that is literally never at the top of anybody's mind when somebody is obviously talking about her? Like, no, Netflix, this is horrible. Make a show called The Princess and make it about Margaret. Make it about the painting. I don't care. Uh, speaking of boring people, we <laughs> cut to Liz and her poodle do, uh, <laughs> sitting up in bed and porch, we're cutting back. There's a lot of cutting back and forth rapidly mm-hmm. in this. So I've done the best that I can. Sure. 
So he's explaining to American accent lady that he's been close to the royal family all his life. And indeed, it would have been a perfect match between him and Liz. Uh, be- <laughs> he has to admit that as a horse breeder. And I'm like, you need to learn other stuff to say. Like, nobody wants to think about that. A, at dinner. B, at a proposal. <laughs> yes. Yeah, anyway. Yeah. Uh, he then tells American accent lady... Uh, it would have been a perfect match, except for the fact that it was never on the cards. For her, there was only Philip, which is true. We saw a photo that Cousin Beckett sent us uh, of Liz at, like, age 13, basically creaming her panties over <laughs> Prince Philip. And I'm like, all right. Yeah. Who You know, and it's lasted. Yeah. I mean, it sure has. I mean, I'm sure they've wreaked havoc on all their close relatives, <laughs> but it's lasted. <laughs> So we cut to Liz uh, jumping out of bed and running to the window to see Philip being dumped out of his great escape friend's car, stinking drunk. Yeah. Like an embarrassingly stinking drunk. Yeah, yeah. As somebody who's been very classily stinking drunk many times. <laughs> what? It's like he's being super loud and it's yeah. like, hey, people can hear you. Yeah. It's whatever o'clock. <laughs> and It's sex o'clock. <laughs> an American lady asks, and for you... Uh, we see Liz at the window staring out at him and then uh, Porchy says there's only his fur wearing fake American uh, which I don't believe for a second um, Philip whistles in his bedroom so their bedroom this is so weird like yeah. if you're gonna go all the way and have separate bedrooms like don't have them looking directly across like it's yeah. just creepy it is it's it just is. it's like what is that Ugh. again let, this would be a great setup if this was a horror movie. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, he makes his way from his room to her room, uh, and he knocks on the door and says, Lilibet. And Liz pretends to sleep while yeah. he tries to get lucky, which made me glad because yeah. he closes the door and leaves and her eyes snap open. And I was like, is this going to be some kind of sexual assault thing? Luckily, no. No. He's no. still just a raging dickhole. He, he accepted the fact that it was not actually sex o'clock. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So we see a paint palette, and uh, giant Winston Churchill is painting a pond. Clementine uh, hangs up the phone, telling Jock that he'll be delighted, uh, but when she hangs up the phone, it seems that she's not convinced of that. Uh, So she goes up to Churchill and asks if he's winning, uh, and he says no, and that talks about this is a battle, and he went for the kill, and I was foiled, and whatever. Um... Clementine says that for his 80th birthday, which also happens to be the opening of Parliament, there'll be a combined event with a special portrait unveiled by Graham Sutherland. Uh, Churchill does not know who that is. He learns that he is apparently an artist, a modern, a modernist, in fact. Uh, and Churchill is predictably grumpy about that, saying that if it's going to be a modernist, it ought to at least be a German or an Italian modernist. Because they're the ones who have to start all over. Right, yes. Which is funny, but inaccurate, which we'll get into in a minute. Yeah. Which is funny. <laughs> well, and it's I, I, it's just like, yeah, it is just funny and that he's like, he only wants British people to be conservative because, uh, you know, when the Germans were conservative, they killed everybody. Mm-hmm. So he's like, yeah, go. Like, Maybe let your freak flag fly, Germany. they were so much better at being conservative <laughs> than he'll allow himself to be. <laughs> Could be. Don't hide your fascism under a bushel, Winston. <laughs> it's too late. He's dead. Yes. 
In any case, that brings us to our recurring segment, Fashion Backwards, with our, with our very own modernist matriarch, Kelly. Thank you. Um, I Neither of those things. <laughs> but, okay, so Churchill is, like, wrong here. Um, he is angry about modernist painting, mm-hmm. but ultimately, with what we see in this episode, like, calling Graham Sutherland a modernist tells you as little about him as calling Macklemore a rapper. <laughs> yeah. Like, yes, he's part of a broader movement, but he, you know, Churchill seems like he's thinking of, like, cubism mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. surrealism. And Graham Sutherland is, he does get in, like, his other stuff gets into surrealism, I'll mm-hmm. admit. But it's like this, you know, this painting, you know, the problems with it turn out to be that it is too lifelike yeah, uh, and too accurate. Mm-hmm. So Churchill is wrong as usual. Um, so modernism spans a lot of time. It grew out of the romantic movement in the 19th century. And uh, also it's interesting because when you look up modernism on Wikipedia, it lumps art and philosophy Basically together. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. And I never really thought of it that way. (laughs) So I guess that's true. (laughs) Uh, And I would say if I had to sort of boil modernism down to a one sentence, uh, you know, log line, it would be modernists were efficiency experts, Hmm. or at least that's how they thought of themselves. Mm -hmm. They felt like the old ways of doing art, uh, were too time consuming in this age of, you know, incredible progress and that there was this conflict between progress and society and whether or not society was holding progress back, mm-hmm. um, which I think is a very interesting philosophical question. Um, and some of this comes out of actually Darwin's, uh, on the origin of species because that sort of decentralized human beings as being unique. Mm-hmm. And it was like, Hey, um, remember that whole in God's image thing? Like it might not be that. Yeah. So people were grappling with these like large questions on that scale mm-hmm. as, you know, the, uh, industrial revolution is happening. Um, you know, the monarchy and particularly absolute monarchy is slipping away in favor of more democratic forms of, uh, governance. Um, and I would kind of argue that communism is more democratic than a monarchy. I mean, you know. I mean, insofar as it's derived from the will of the people in theory. Right. No, I mean, I know what you're saying. Anyway, Karl Marx also influenced all these things. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, so modernism really began in France. Um, blah, blah, blah. Statistical thermodynamics. We're not going to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> How could I? <laughs> Visual art critic uh, Immanuel Kant uh, was called the first real modernist by art critic Clement Greenberg. Uh, and a critic named William, or I'm sorry, a historian named William Everdell thinks that the first modernist was, uh, Georges Seurat with his a Sunday afternoon on the island of the Grand Jatte, mm. uh, which I guess means that modernism didn't reach musical theater until Stephen Sondheim wrote <laughs> Sunday in the Park with George. So I, I think that's a plausible statement. I don't know. I feel like this set for Bye Bye Birdie could be construed as being very modernist <laughs> in my high school production. <laughs> well, it was probably influenced by the original Broadway production of Sundays at the Park with George. I'm sure your set designer was thinking that. <laughs> if 
by set designer, <laughs> you mean the volunteer alumni and ne'er-do-wells who formed our <laughs> stage crew. <laughs> then yes. <laughs> uh, so impressionism and symbolism were sort of the two twin embryos of mm-hmm. the modern movement. Um, people were moving away from the literal Although they were also going into more like classical modernism at mm-hmm. the same time. This is why I say it's ridiculous to like infer anything from anyone being called a modernist mm-hmm. because it also includes Matisse and Picasso, uh, the works of Sigmund Freud, the works of Nietzsche. Like there's all of this sort of, you know, there's nihilism and then there's, uh, whatever the fuck you would call Freud. <laughs> <laughs> Weird. Yeah, That's what I'd sexualism. Call <laughs> um, weird dude. And you know, it also includes uh, Dostoevsky and Walt Whitman and Henry James. So it's like all these people are considered. Well, these are like still we're in like the precursors, right? Right. But like, no, they're 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 getting there. <laughs> yeah, they're moving toward it. So modernism really exploded <laughs> in the twenties and thirties. Which also explains why, like, this Graham Sutherland, like, after World War II, like, ain't shit. Because they probably <laughs> killed all the good modernists during the war. No. Um, T.S. Eliot. Oh, Ezra Pound was in there. My favorite Nazi. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and then, uh, also, music, apparently, is a very good example of sort of what modernism was, where it's like, there are all these different techniques for writing music however it's still rooted in the basics of the past which i think is sort of the dividing line between modernism and contemporary art Mm. where like contemporary art can be completely divorced from the traditions of the past Mm -hmm. the past right right i'm making air quotes with my fingers everyone (laughs) but it's like you know it can be completely divorced from those things except you know in the sense it's like oh we use things to make other stuff right right that's art in a nutshell i think (laughs) Oh, you can put that debate to rest. <laughs> what is art? Use things to make stuff. <laughs> other stuff. Other stuff, right. It has to be other stuff. <laughs> you can't you can't use things to make themselves. I'm gonna think about that because I think you're wrong. So when we get into World War Two <laughs> Right. Um, this is really where the technological stuff really picks up because we've had the industrial revolution. Now you're having more of a sort of personal electric revolution. People are getting Uh electricity in their homes, indoor plumbing, they have automobiles, they have the radio. So it just, you know, changed everybody's approach to everything. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, much in the same way that the internet changed our lives. I Mm -hmm. mean, the difference between our parents and their parents' generation is you know minimal Mm -hmm. but the difference between our grandparents generation and our generation is huge yeah it's a gaping chasm um so uh during the great depression at least in america you see a lot of social realism and american scene painting (laughs) so american scene painting obviously kind of coming from the uh, impressionist focus on the out of doors and uh social realism being based in the fact that life sucked and we felt very strongly <laughs> about you know depicting that accurately yeah um american gothic is from this time period in 1930 by mm. grant wood not to be confused with grant sutherland <laughs> uh the nazis ruined everything 
just gonna skip over that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so Greenberg sees modernism ending in the 1930s, but, uh, except for the visual and performing arts. So, you know, they apparently were like, nope, we're good with modernism. We're gonna stick with it. Uh, but I would also argue that in a lot of ways that had to do too with like, that's when you're looking at the advent of, you know, film really taking off mm. and sound pictures. Mm-hmm. So they're going to kind of be at a lag, I think. Yeah. I can't support any of these wild claims that I am making. That's fine. It's I, our podcast. I know. That's what, that's what these recurring segments <laughs> promise. Just baseless. <laughs> so, uh, more recently, the term late modernism has been redefined by at least one critic, not cited, <laughs> and used to refer to works written after 1945 rather than 1930. With this usage goes the idea that the ideology. With this usage goes the idea that the ideology of modernism was significantly reshaped by the events of World War II, especially the Holocaust and the dropping of the atom bomb. So everybody was real fucking depressed because yeah. everybody had died and <laughs> nobody knew why. Yeah, I mean. We know why. I mean, in the cosmic sense. Right. Everybody was like, why? Yeah. Like, couldn't we have arranged things to not kill 30 million people? Yeah. No. Yeah. No. Apparently not. Yeah. Um, we also see in the 1940s, abstract expressionism starts happening. Uh, Matisse is in there. Peggy Guggenheim's fucking shit up. Uh, Jackson Pollock is fucking around in the 1950s. So you can see why, if these are sort of the darlings of modernism that... Uh, Churchill might be concerned. However, mm. as a student of the art form, you'd really think that he'd like, you know, be a little less of an asshole. Oh, wait. I'm sorry. I forgot who I was talking about here. Yeah. <laughs> my bad. Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah. International figures from British art. I didn't even see this. Let's dive in. Okay. Uh, Henry Moore was Britain's leading sculptor. Oh, he was around until 1986. He lived almost 100 years. Yeah. Um, and uh, he got a whole bunch of commissions. Uh, let's see. Francis Bacon, Lucian Freud, no relation, I assume. Frank Auerbach, uh, who's still alive. Mm-hmm. Leon Kossoff, also still alive. And Michael Andrews, not still alive. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd anyway. Heard of, I'd heard of Lucian Freud and uh, Francis Bacon. Uh, Francis Bacon, the painter, or Francis Bacon, the author of Shakespeare's works? <laughs> Right. Francis Bacon, the painter, you know, like he sticks in my mind because I was like, wait, wait. And oh, there's a whole different. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, so modernism encompasses a whole bunch of things that honestly don't make a whole lot of sense to me. I'm going to (laughs) be real honest with you guys. I'm like, it seems like this isn't like it's it's so broad Mm -hmm. as to suggest that calling any of these things modern is pointless. I think it's just sort of because I think you could say the same thing about, say, the romantic era. Um, and I think it's sort of this thing where it's like, there is some, like there is some defining things to the, you know, artistic output of that era. And everybody at the time was like in the same zeitgeist. So basically romantic just meant like cool right now. Mm -hmm. And so in the different art, you know, in the different media and genres and whatever, what was cool might be different, but they were all agreed. Like we're all romantic. So whatever we're doing, that's what romantic is. Yeah. So these people were modern. Right. Uh, whatever the fuck that means. <laughs> <laughs> and that has been Fashion Backwards, a woefully incompetent walk in the history of modernist art. Yeah, we'll get to my segment. 
I'm going to turn the TV off because it's driving oh, me crazy. Okay. So, back on the show. Uh, at an airfield, A&E, and uh, what we presume is his wife. She shows up several times in this series, and I'm like, who the fuck is this? Yeah. I, I assume it's her wife. Otherwise, this would be quite the scandal. Uh, he gives a little uh, press conference and says that he's just fine, needs to a little bit more recovery, but he's really eager to get back to work. Porchy's phone rings while his fake American babes, <laughs> and it's Liz. Uh, she thinks that they're making a mistake with Oriole, uh, and she is like straight wigging out about this horse. Like she cannot. I'm like, you have a. Fu-. I was gonna say like you have a country to run, but like she really doesn't. <laughs> we've if we've learned nothing else from this show is that she has nothing to focus on or do. Yeah. Um. So she thinks that they should start fast. At the beginning and lead mm-hmm. instead of doing whatever the hell else you do with a horse. <laughs> uh, and then, well, sometimes, you know, sometimes you can serve your energy so that you can make a big push at the end. I have it's- no idea what that's like. <laughs> uh, anyway, so, you know, and they, it's very interesting because they have what, like three scenes together in this? A, f- a few, yeah. But it's like really incredible the, depth of the connection between them that they're able, even in this scene yeah yeah just the way that she talks to him mm-hmm. is different than the way she talks to everyone else right and the way you know we've only just met him but mm. the way that he talks to her is very different than we've seen him talking to his fake american right and so you know they they you know spar back and forth a little bit about how you know she's sometimes right and you know he even said that she has good instincts yeah and you know it's very it's like flirty yeah but like if you were like a socially retarded uh, british aristocrat (laughs) right well and i think that um i'm not sure there's any other kind (laughs) (laughs) right well and just the way that like he changes his tone of voice when his fake american walks in and like And just like well, he said this thing too, and uh, he said something about regrets. Yeah, that he and he was like, oh, and a great many other th- like, and it seems like that's about Liz because Liz is like, what you talking about? Right. And then his American comes and he's like, oh, bye. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Got to go I, back to pretending not to regret my choices. <laughs> yeah. Although I was, I just didn't quite follow what he was necessarily trying to say or meant by that. But um, you know, I think. Liz is oblivious. She's oblivious. <laughs> and, you know, I suspect throughout their relationship, he's dropped these hints of like, oh, hey, ah, I like you. Yeah. And like, she's just like, oh, <laughs> who? <laughs> huh? Uh, also, just a note, when I said socially retarded, I wasn't being off color. No, I, under- I meant slowed. I, I heard you say it and I was like, no, that checks out. All right. Yeah. I'm just clarifying yeah. in case anybody's about to send an angry email. Sure. A car pulls up to the Churchill estate, and a guy gets out. It is Mr. Sutherland, uh, who... Right? I so, did... Tom is just made a marvelous <laughs> surprised face. Yeah. Because he is portrayed by Stannis Baratheon slash Stephen Delane. I didn't realize it until I had finished this episode, and I think I saw it in the credits. I was like, what? Yeah. And, I mean, he is virtually unrecognizable yeah and it's weird because he's not that unrecognizable right 
I don't know if it's just that like he has a different accent, and I mean, you know, the coloring is very, like his hair is dark. Yeah. For some reason, I don't think of Stannis as having eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just such a. He's just so much, you know, softer mm-hmm. in this character than than Stannis. So I mean, it's hard to imagine a character more cuddly. <laughs> right. well, this character's not even particularly. Yeah, but I almost mean more just in his clothes and his hair yeah. and his things like that, and and of and like the actual tone of his voice. Yeah, um, that all that all checks out. Yeah, but wow, and he's great. I mean, in this episode. Oh yeah, I can. Oh man, he's so great. Yeah. I love this episode. Have I mentioned? <laughs> uh, so, uh, giant Winston Churchill tries to bully out of him whether he's going to be engaging in reality or flattery. Um, and he asks, he suggests that he not be too accurate because for accuracy they have the camera. Um, and I'm just going to throw this in here. This is, I mean, I believe that this all happened. It's, it's attested, but it's kind of surprising of me to church that Churchill would be, um, not interested in accurate portrait. And the reason I say that is just because of Oliver Cromwell, who very famously, uh, demanded that when he had his official portrait painted, that he be painted, quote, warts and all. And indeed, he had some giant warts on his face that they left in the portrait. Um, and Churchill did admire Cromwell, at least to some extent. Uh, he tried to get a ship named after him when he was, uh, Lord of the Admiralty or whatever that title is. Uh, and everybody was like, no, we're not naming a fucking ship after Cromwell. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, actually, uh, when I first started trying to do my research into modernism, mm-hmm. I just typed in modernist painting 1954, and the first thing that came up was the <laughs> Wikipedia article on this painting. Right. Um, so... It's weird because this play is pretty much like they just recreated the Wikipedia article. Not entirely. Well, no, there's there's a couple key differences. There are a couple key differences. Um, so he wanted to be depicted uh, in his robes as a knight of the garter. Right, which he does mention. He does. Ma- and, but, but, and he said that. I was like, what the fuck are you talking about, <laughs> dude? What's a garter robe? Is that like a garter belt? <laughs> um and the photographs actually were not taken, though, by Graham Sutherland. They were taken by Elspeth Judah. Just yeah. if any Elspeth Judah fans <laughs> out there, she has been. They were all excited. Like, oh, finally somebody's going to portray Elspeth on screen. Yeah. <laughs> They're so sad now. They quit watching. They were like, damn it, Elspeth! Who will tell your story? She was German-born. Anyway. <laughs> so... I don't know that. I mean, but I don't know that, you know, his admiration for Cromwell would have extended to that. Mm-hmm. I mean, he. Yeah, I mean, well, and especially he got even more conservative at this point in yeah. his life. It was part of why they were trying to kick him out because he was being just obnoxiously conservative. Yeah, well, and I mean, we get to that in just a, a couple of scenes, mm-hmm. basically. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it is, you know. You know, let's discuss this later because I feel like if we discuss it, like we're we're not letting the story unfold. Yeah, yeah. And like there's so yeah. I mean, okay. I'm going to be totally honest. I wrote it in here somewhere, but like the <laughs> scenes between Sutherland and Churchill are so good yeah. that I basically just like transcribed the dialogue. <laughs> it's like it's like a three act play. Mm-hmm. It's the strongest part of the episode, yeah. and it's just like amazing. Yeah. No, this would absolutely, you could adapt just the scenes between the two of them into a stage play. Absolutely. 
So Churchill decides to bring up that uh, he paints. This makes me so mad. <laughs> this is like the time that me and a bunch of my coworkers met Dane Cook <laughs> and the kid who was like, A, the worst comedian and B, just like the worst person was like making fun of him like the whole time leading up to us meeting him. And then when we met him, he goes, uh, we're all comedians too. And me and the other guy were like, why would you, yeah. why would you say that to him? Yeah. You know, we're comedians in the sense that a baby could fight Muhammad <laughs> Ali. Right. Like, regardless of what you think about Dane Cook. Yeah. It's just like, uh, nobody, nobody's comfortable in that situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although, I will say, Churchill seems to be a more accomplished painter yeah. than any of us were comedians at that point. He's yeah. had a book published of his dumb paintings. <laughs> It must be nice to be the fucking prime minister. It must be nice to be George W. Bush. If George W. Bush was a woman, I guarantee you everybody would be shitting on his paintings instead of being like, hey, he's not so bad. I don't, Do people say that? I think they're terrible. Uh, a lot of people think that his paintings are fine. Wow. That's weird. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that was a friend of mine. I mean, are they better than I could do? Probably. Mm-hmm. But I don't care. Yeah. A friend of mine, a childhood friend of mine, maybe high school, like, uh, she painted this painting and the mom just like flipped out over how great it was. And she's like, this is, I can't believe it's like so real. We're going to put it up. And it was like, if I had, maybe if I hadn't had the build up to that, (laughs) I would have been like, oh, that's a fine painting. But it was, it was not, it was not that good. Uh, so the lesson is give up on your dreams. (laughs) That's (laughs) especially George W. Bush. I think we've, that's really been the underlying message of this whole podcast, right? I mean, I don't know why anybody else does podcasts unless they've previously given up on their dreams. Uh, so, yeah, after the awkward moment of Churchill bringing up his painting, Clementine's like, so uh, tell me about your process, Mr. Sutherland. And he says that he will take photos and do some charcoal studies focusing on the head and hands. And then the actual painting will be in his studio. Yeah, he's a man of few words, which is cr- like... This character feels so huge and so layered and so real mm-hmm. that it's insane how little dialogue he has. Yeah. It's just sort of the way that Churchill plays off of him, mm-hmm. like the light plays off of the pond. <laughs> yes. The New York Times would eat that play up. <laughs> or maybe the London Times. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they, they they're, both... They're British. Yeah. Americans don't give as much of a shit about Winston Churchill. Yeah. We're like, he's the guy that pushed FDR's wheelchair, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Churchill asks about the pose, and Sutherland says seated. So, so he immediately <laughs> yeah. stands up. I fucking hate this guy. <laughs> um, you know, and he, he talks about... Uh, uh, he, 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 he says it would make him look younger to stand and like more dynamic. And Sutherland responds, I thought the painting was supposed to celebrate the reaching of a certain age. And like, I'm not going to do any justice to Stephen Delaney's yeah, line readings yeah. because they're so good. Yeah. Uh, and he, yeah, and he says that seated would be more senatorial. Also, you have to stand up for a long ass time. <laughs> and if we've learned anything about Winston Churchill, it is that he is an infirm old coot. <laughs> he cannot stand up for hours on end. I learned this when I was hired to be a clothed model my senior year of college. And I chose a real stupid pose. <laughs> and I had to hold it for a long time. Like I had my, my ankle crossed at the knee. 
and my foot fell asleep every fucking time. Yeah. Also, that was a great experience. That was like a bunch of people painting my picture, and I was like, oh my god, <laughs> this is great. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Clementine agrees that Churchill has to be seated because he'll fall over otherwise. <laughs> She's like, I'm not going to pro- like, I have other things to do. Uh, he asks whether he should have a cigar, and this is where he asks about whether he should have the, the garter robes. Uh, and it's actually been specified that he would not be and will just be dressed as a parliamentarian. Later, when they're watching television, Clementine says she liked Sutherland. <laughs> And Churchill says, you were smitten, blushing like a little girl. <laughs> and she says that he is rather a wow. She calls him Saturnine and yeah. says he's a bit of a Heathcliff. <laughs> this is like the cutest scene. Yeah. This makes me briefly like not hate Winston Churchill. Mm-hmm. Anytime he has like a cute moment with Clementine, yeah. I'm like, aww. <laughs> he's not a monster. I don't know why she's put up with him for so long. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, Clementine... Clementine says that uh, he doesn't strike her as an assassin, which is right. the title of the episode, <laughs> um, and that he's clearly a fan of Churchill's, and, uh, you know, Churchill says, ah, he's a socialist. And, you can you know, smell the socialist, yeah. yeah. And, you know, Clementine says, even socialists admit that you saved the country, <laughs> and he says, through gritted teeth. And I'm like, dude, could you just take a fucking compliment? <laughs> Actually, as the entire episode will demonstrate, he cannot. No, he absolutely can't. Uh, so the horses really take off on the street, and Churchill's like, Argh! cut to the racetrack. <gasps> uh, and Oriole, horses! Yes. And Oriole has won. Um... So Liz and Portree and Margaret are all celebrating. And, you know, Liz is saying things like, oh, isn't he clever? Yeah. He's so clever. And Margaret's like, uh, yeah, doy. Like, that's why we pay him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Philip scowls. His great escape friend is there. Ah. And also seems miffed that his wife, like, they're mad. Yeah. Uh, fuck you guys. Yeah. I hate you. Yeah. I, as, as do I. And we will continue hating uh, so we see Ariel whinnying as it's brought back to the stable, and Liz is just delighted. Um, and she just lights up around horses. Yeah. So I think I think she needed horse therapy to be a better queen. <laughs> I don't know how that works, but it worked uh, for what's-her-name that got kidnapped? Uh, yeah. J.C. Dugard. Yeah. She and her kids did horse therapy after that. And hmm. I think, I mean, Liz has clearly been around horses. Right. I think she's, I think she's self, you know. Therapizing. Yeah. Self horse therapy. <laughs> thing. <laughs> uh, well, I do. I know you do. And I'm sad that no one could see the face that I just made. <laughs> uh, so they reminisce about Ariel's birth. Uh, and how Porchy called uh, King Lane Price about it. Yeah, because it was like, you know, oh, God, I hate how people talk about horses being, he's like, you know, from this one, you know, from, you know, uh, uh, Flagiola <laughs> and, you know, out of, uh, you know, uh, kale salad. But it just, ugh, I'm like, I don't want to think about the birth canal <laughs> when you tell me where an animal came from. Right. That's how they talk about dogs also. Yeah. I understand, although I think we'll get to later. I mean, I think it sort of becomes like because like using the exact same word every time, even if it is kind of, you know, whatever an origin, it becomes just a technical term and you mm-hmm. stop thinking about I it. I know. 
Um, yeah, I, yeah, but I don't do horse therapy. <laughs> I don't run well, around. Well, maybe you should. <laughs> Shut up! <laughs> you think horses can help with my eating disorder? <laughs> I watched this horse eating a bag of oats, and it all made sense. <laughs> I gave him a carrot, and then I had a carrot. <laughs> my apologies to anybody who's found that actually helpful. <laughs> Stay strong. Uh, yeah, so then their next discussion is that uh, Ariel has been invited to a race in America, but Porchy thinks it may be time to retire him and put him out to stud. Liz is surprised that he would turn down the chance to go to America, and he's like, why? And she's like, well, that's where your fiancé is from. Your girlfriend. Right. Which sounds weird <laughs> for them to – I don't know why, but I'm like, I don't want to – saying girlfriend feels so juvenile. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Right, because this is where he informs her that they are now engaged. Uh, Liz hopes that she has money so that he can keep the stable going. Uh, yeah, and- he looks like a real fucking pauper, Liz. <laughs> uh, and she is a Portsmouth, which Liz immediately understands what that means She's financially. Like, oh, so no money. And I'm like, this is gross. Yeah. Like, are you not going to say congratulations at all? <laughs> Uh, but she is horse mad, and of course she would have to be to be with somebody who can only refer to himself as a horse breeder. The <laughs> uh, Porchy thinks that Liz would approve, so Liz asks to meet her, and he says yes, as long as you promise not to scare her. And she's like, "What?" And he's like, "You're the queen." And she's like, "God, I keep forgetting." <laughs> no, because what she really says is like, "Not all the time." And he's like, "Yes, all the time." <laughs> I'm like, "I think this may be the root cause of your problems, Liz." <laughs> So Margaret rides out in the countryside. This is a beautiful and yet pointless shot. Like, yeah. I didn't need to know where she was for the next scene to occur. It's just They just get itchy if they haven't had a Margaret horse riding <laughs> shot. So Porchy pulls away in a truck uh, as Margaret trots in. And as he leaves, she says to Liz, The one you let get away. And Liz looks genuinely confused in a way that I'm like, Really? Because, yeah. like, this whole thing has apparently been going on for, like, yeah. just everybody's like, will they, won't they? Mm-hmm. Like, even if she doesn't have a horse in that race, <laughs> yeah, you know, the gossip would have surely reached her by this late stage in her life. You would think, but I just think that she's, she's like, at 13, she was like, okay, I'm going to marry Philip. I never have to think about this again. <laughs> <laughs> you know? She reminds me of your mom. In that way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, Margaret says that Porch has always carried a torch for her, uh, and she like pulls off her gloves and lights a cigarette in a way that makes her look like really cool. <laughs> um, don't smoke and drive, kids. Don't smoke and horseback ride. Yeah. Don't smoke. Yeah, first that's of the all. main thing. Yeah. Anyway, she looks really cool. But uh, <laughs> Margaret says that he told her once when he was in his cups. And Liz is like, well, you can't believe anything a drunk person says. <laughs> I think that's part of her Philip like defense mechanism, mm. which is like, oh, that's not really him. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Margaret says, uh, yeah, that's when people are the most truthful. And then she's like, bye, Margaret, out. <laughs> never see her again in this whole episode. <laughs> Um, oh, wait, she doesn't leave yet because, oh, fuck, I left out the most important part. Mm. She just points out that, you know, because uh, she Liz is like, oh, we share interests. And Margaret's mm-hmm. like, horses aren't an interest for you. They're a passion. 
a passion which your husband doesn't share. And Liz yeah. is like, yeah, well, he has other passions. And Margaret is like, so I've heard. Then it's Margaret out. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. And Liz is just like, I was hoping nobody'd notice. <laughs> <laughs> and then a song that really sounds like Gary Jules's Mad World kicks in. Like both times I watch this, I'm like, Am I watching Donnie Darko? Is it 2003? What is going on? <laughs> Annie pulls up to Churchill House, where Churchill is painting. It's actually called Chartwell. Right. Uh, but I forgot to know that until later. <laughs> okay. You know, it's a standard naming convention for this podcast. <laughs> so, uh, Churchill is painting, and he says not to show Annie into his painting lair. <laughs> um, so, he, so they're still in a fight. Oh, they sure are. Uh, they meet in the sitting room, and Churchill's a real asshole. Uh, and, you know, it's, like it's clear that they both know that this is a scheduled argument. Also, I did a real crap job of recapping this because it's so good. Mm-hmm. That's okay. So, that's You all know how this works, right? When it seems <laughs> really good, I'm like, I can't even. <laughs> ah, it's so good. So A&E goes into a prepared speech about how all po- politicians must at some point determine whether they are serving or, you know, whether they are helping the country or harming it. Whether they are... Taking and harming. Right. Yes. And he's like, you are taking and harming, you son of a bitch. Oh, my God. I'm here to tell you for the last time that that's what you're doing. And I am telling (laughs) you, I'm not going. Except, like, rewritten so that it makes more. Because, like, that's what Churchill would say. you are going. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah. Um, It's so great, though, because, like, Churchill's like, fuck you. And, like... Jeremy Northam loses the entirety of the UK's shit. Yeah, so he, because Churchill says that he will leave at the proper time, and A&E says the proper time was when you fucking lost the last election, and he's like, Churchill says, and I avenge that by winning the next, and that's when he completely snaps. He says, no, I want us that, Winston! And I'm like, ah! And I had the same thought that Churchill had, which is like, dude, didn't you just have surgery? (laughs) Yeah. Well, and that's what, you know, what Churchill says, like, real, like, bitchily is like, oh, you shouldn't get all worked up over that. And he's, and and he is like, says the man who two months ago was essentially dead. (laughs) Remember when he was dead? Yeah. (laughs) Good times. Yeah. And he gets up in his face and he says, I have something that you will never see again, a clean bill of health, which is... A real harsh thing to say. And then Churchill throws it on the ground. Yeah. He's not done yet. He <laughs> says, so did Stalin, and he died, <laughs> like, begging on the floor. Yeah. Or like, so it's just, it's like, hey, guys. Yeah. We're all watching you. <laughs> I know they don't know that. But <laughs> right. I'm like, ah, dad, dad and dad are fighting. Uh, but, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. And then Clemmy walks in. With her dog <laughs> to announce Mr. Sutherland and like yeah, and this is the first time she's called Clemmy, so I'm gonna call her that from now on. Okay, uh, but Agony is like, "Hey, Clemmy, I'm gonna go." <laughs> <laughs> Too bad your husband's a dick. Could have been pals. Yeah, that uh, all that yelling you heard was uh, just uh, a, a joke. It was a joke. She knows what things are. I know. So Mr. Sutherland is there and his wife Kathleen is there to assist him. But it's never clear to me exactly what she's doing. Yeah, she's just sort of like rummaging around in uh, the back whatever. of the room. I don't yeah. care. It's nice to bring your spouse to work sometimes. Yeah. Um, Winston sits in a chair in his painting studio. 
so Sutherland, yes. A&E, no. Yeah. Uh, and it's kind of, you know, it's again this like testament to his infirmness. You know, they get him into the chair and take his hat off and his hair's like sticking straight up. So yeah. Sutherland like smooths his hair down and it's like this very like tender moment that mm-hmm. I was very struck by. Yeah. Also, I just wanted to jump back to the previous time oh, when sorry. he was taking the pictures. I just remembered this. Um, not only, okay, yes, not only did he not technically take the pictures himself, but the way they shot it, every single p- photograph he takes is like super backlit and you can't see Churchill at all. <laughs> and I'm like, what, why? Anyway. Take that was- it up with the producers of the crowd. <laughs> we won't. No. Uh, so as Sutherland is sketching, Churchill quizzes him on which kind of pencil he's using. He's like, oh, you know, what are you using? He's like, oh, it's a pencil. And he's like, what kind? And I'm like, okay, could you just stop? We get it. You paint. He's <laughs> he, not going to yeah, stop. Yeah, he's not. Um, uh, it's a 6B pencil. He's using drawing paper or drawing paper. <laughs> Churchill says he prefers cotton and goes into all the details right. of how he likes his cotton. Sized with gelatine. Jesus fucking God. I hate him so much. <laughs> um, so uh, Churchill then asks Kathleen how many paintings Mr. Sutherland completes in a year. And she says, oh, you know, three or four. And Churchill then uh, goes through a whole thing. He's like, guess how many I complete in a year. <laughs> he completes 60 paintings. And I'm like, you're a madman. He is good at painting. <laughs> uh, so a cigar is still smoking and Churchill has fallen asleep. So it's good that he wasn't standing up. <laughs> and Sutherland like touches his hand to sketch it and Churchill wakes up and, and he then tells him that he researched Sutherland and that portraiture is new for him. And Sutherland says something, oh, you know, nobody gets into painting wanting to be a portraitist. And mm-hmm. I'm like, really? I don't know. Apparently. I don't care about art. <laughs> As you may have guessed. <laughs> uh, he came to painting late, he says. And Tracer says, and now that you found it, you'll never leave it. And he's like, oh, I know what that's like. I'm like, you know yeah. you don't, man. Right. Like, you don't know anything Except for you're a dick. Yeah. <laughs> Sutherland also does not respond, you know, neither confirms nor disconfirms. Yeah. Uh, so he's he's showing Kathleen his sketches, and Mrs. Sutherland says it has truth. Churchill says that he wants to take a peek, but Sutherland says no. Uh, Churchill says that he could give him advice <laughs> if his arms are too short or his neck is too fat. <laughs> and like, what the fuck are you talking about? Uh, he says, this nobody... master portraitist only he made his arms six inches long for some reason. <laughs> it's a modernist touch. <laughs> and Sutherland says this great line, I find in general people have very little understanding of who they are. And I'm like, this is so true. <laughs> and Winston's like, no, 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 no. Just concentrate on the good and all will be well. And I'm like, oof. Yeah. And yeah. again, I literally wrote, these scenes are so good, I'm going to do a shit job recapping. Yeah. And I have. And I continue <laughs> to do so. Promise kept. <laughs> so we see Luz playing solitaire as the phone rings, and it's Porchy who's like, oh, that was a palaver, uh, trying to get hold of her. Because, Boy, of course... I'm so bummed we didn't have another montage. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we didn't get to see the old guy I wish slowly that the music walk the that was like, you know, the Simpsons or something. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you all found that as funny as we did, because I regret nothing. <laughs> uh, anyway, he's calling to say that Ariel could make 
uh, her a lot of money as a stud, and uh, she says, okay, great, and I'm going to talk to somebody about getting you a direct line to the palace, and he's like, to, to call you? And she's like, yes, do you have anyone else here you want to talk to? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah, Liz looks super pleased. Liz is in her room trying to explain studying to Philip, mm-hmm. uh, and he keeps calling it a shag and a horse hump. Yeah, and she tells him a cover. It's called a cover. Yeah, and she tells him that she could make sixteen thousand pounds in a year, uh, which is probably a lot of money adjusted for inflation. <laughs> Who can say? And uh, so then Philip starts shit-talking Porchy's father, right. who's apparently also called Porchy. Yeah, which, come on, guys. <laughs> they will never stop <laughs> until all the white people in England are dead. They yeah. will never stop this crap. Mm-hmm. So apparently Porchy's dad had so many affairs that there's an entire generation of British aristocrats with somebody related to him. <laughs> yeah. Um, He's saying, oh, you know, all high foreheads everywhere. Because when they were on the phone, Porchy was saying that he has numerical dyslexia, which is genetic along with his high forehead. Right, right. So Liz, you know, mumbles into the mirror, numerical dyslexia. And Philip says, what? Like, in a tone that is totally unwarranted. Mm -hmm. And then she's like, never mind. And I'm like... Why are you such a bad person, Philip? Yeah, I know. And, like, he's such a jerk. And I also wanted to say that I t- had missed the first time through, but did you catch the title of Porchy Sr.? I heard a can of, can of something? Earl of Carna- Carnarvon, or whatever, uh, which is the, and you know, their, uh, their home is Highclere Castle. Oh, shit! Yeah. Well, bust my butt. <laughs> All is forgiven, Porsche 1 and Porsche 2. <laughs> oh, man, I can't believe I didn't look up Porchy's Wikipedia page. Yeah. If he has one. It, yeah, there's not a ton to it. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, a uh, great escape friend shows up to go out, and, like, they pat each other's butts on the way out, and I'm like, are they gay? Is that the other passion? And maybe this is all just because they made LeFou gay, and I have, like, you know, male friendship coded as gay on the brain. Did you ever think LeFou was gay before? No. I didn't either. A lot of people are like, well, he was coded gay. I'm like, I thought he was just coded fat. <laughs> like, Yeah. I, yeah, I have, uh, you know, I haven't actually watched that in quite a while. But, yeah. Eh, whatever. I, I guess the I The DVD don't. is right there. No, I know. Uh, I, I, I guess I don't care is the answer. I don't care either. <laughs> uh, so Churchill opens a portfolio of Graham Sutherland's work and Sutherland does the same. And portfolio was, I'm sure there's a word for this, but it's a book but with like prints of paintings that you can take out. Okay. I don't, I'm sure it's called something. The best I could come up with is like a chat book, but I know that's for poems. <laughs> okay. I'm not completely ignorant, people. Uh, and anyway, they're both looking at each other's works and they're both making a copy of one of the other one's paintings. I love this scene so much. It's so cute. Yeah. Okay. So Sutherland arrives at Churchill's again, um, this time alone. And this will be their final session. <gasps> so Sutherland requests silence, and Churchill says, yes, he'll be a good boy, but of course... He, he is a bad boy. Yeah. Uh, and he starts talking... Bad boy, bad boy, <laughs> what you gonna do? What you gonna do when Sutherland paints you? Uh, throw a hissy fit. Um, Truth. So he says that, uh, you know, painting is a battle. Rah, 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 and are you winning or losing? Uh, Sutherland says he hopes that he's winning. 
Uh, Churchill says, yeah, because he's not insane. <laughs> Churchill, Churchill asks if he will like it, and Sutherland says, I think that's a bit too much to ask for. <laughs> Uh, he then says that he has seen uh, Churchill's paintings, or that that he thinks it'll be okay because uh, Churchill's paintings are so honest and revealing. And Churchill is genuinely touched by that compliment because, you know, to be fair, Churchill's been very clear all along that he is an amateur. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a devoted, in an annoying way, right, a devoted amateur, but one nonetheless. So to hear this professional like give him that compliment really touches him. Um. And he says specifically, he asks if there's anything specifically, and he says specifically the painting is the pond. And Churchill's confused by that. It's just a pond. He says, well, then you keep going back to it. Churchill says it's because of the technical challenge and the light on the pond and the fish underneath and everything else. Uh, but Sutherland says there's more than that, that it contains terrible pain. Churchill's like, you know, speaking of things that contain terrible pain, <laughs> your fucking dead tree painting is weird. <laughs> That looks like a set of Waiting for Godot that I once saw. And Samuel Beckett was definitely part of the modernist. <laughs> yeah. Um, I thought you were only allowed to do the set one way. Uh, yeah, with that tree. Right. It looked like that tree. Oh, well, okay, fair enough. There were multiple trees. Fuck you, dude. Hey, sorry. You don't know anything about Godot. A little bit. because he never showed up. <laughs> <laughs> he came up this week both at work and in a crosser puzzle, so kind of on my mind. Well, bully for you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I think that's sincere compliment. Um, <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, Churchill says that it's fucked up. He found something malevolent in that painting, and Sutherland says that that's per- perceptive. He was in a dark place at the time because his son had passed away at two months old. Uh, Churchill, you know, expresses his sympathy and then reveals that he and Clemmy lost their daughter Marigold when she was two years, nine months. Uh, he says, uh, regretfully, but perhaps mercifully, he was not home at the time, and he talks about how Clemmy roared like a wounded animal. They bought Chartwell a year later, and that was when he put in the pond. And this scene makes John Lithgow's entire stupid performance worth it. Yeah, like just that chunk of dot. Like mm-hmm. there's actual like in this, he's not being this caricature of Winston Churchill that he feels like he has to be. Right, he is responding as you know an actor <laughs> to a human being that he's portraying, and I cried. I cannot remember if I cried the first time that I saw this scene, mm-hmm. but last night I was like weeping. Yeah. I was so sad. Yeah. And it is just devastatingly good. Yeah. Yeah. That, that scene is, I don't know. I mean, that scene is probably the best scene of the series. Yeah. Of the series. Which is troubling, uh, since the queen isn't in it. <laughs> Not even, like, not even like the crown as a prop is in it. Right. Like it's just these dudes yeah. who are not Elizabeth II. <laughs> but just, I mean, just the shock. Yeah. You know, because he just hasn't thought about mm-hmm. anything mm-hmm. in that regard. Right, right. And there, there it is. Yeah. Ah, it's so good. <laughs> also, I would bet... All of our Patreon earnings <laughs> that Julian Fellows chose the name Marigold for Edith's daughter because uh, motherfucking Winston <laughs> Churchill had a daughter named Marigold who died. Yeah. Anyway. I don't know why that makes me so angry. <laughs> 
So Sutherland is packing up to go, and the two men say goodbye to each other. And Churchill says that he uh, looks forward to seeing it in some weird opera. The music cues. This is my favorite episode, but the music cues are all over the fucking place. This one in particular. I was just like, and unfortunately, it was like cut to a black mass. Like this, what? <laughs> this is not as helpful as the first two seasons of uh, Peaky or the first, yeah, the first two seasons of Peaky Blinders, where it like tells you what's playing. Uh huh. Because I'm uh-huh. like, is there some sort of rhyme or reason behind this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. So we cut to Liz at her stables drinking tea, and Porchy pulls up, and she like checks her hair but like doesn't finish before he comes in and i'm like you really need like you need hitch you need will smith as hitch to be like if you're trying to like look cute for this dude mm-hmm. like finish patting your hair down before he gets in wow just picturing that movie mm-hmm. where it's <laughs> like a few years back this could have worked where it's just like the the young queen trying to to woo her man and like uh this sassy black dude comes mm-hmm. in Hitch, I don't quite understand. You say I need a wing woman. <laughs> Full disclosure, I never saw the movie Hitch, right. so I don't know all of the techniques that he yeah. suggested that Kevin James employ. Nor shall I ever, so... I might. Well, I guess, who can say? Uh, anyway, so, uh, you know, he's he's there to walk her through the possible mares that Oriole could cover. And uh, horse names... Just seem fundamentally racist to me. Like they seem real Aryan. Like they'd be in a Wagner opera that later people would be like, "Yeah, das ist Aryan." Case okay. These are the names of the mares. Mm-hmm. Neocracy, which actually kind of sounds like it might be a Neil Stevenson book, in addition to being racist. Uh, Turkish blood, very racist. No, yeah. uh, even if it's a Turkish horse, still racist. <laughs> and Temple Bar. Um, that sounds like Temple Grandin, so that's for <laughs> ableist. Yes, I think that was probably named after Temple Grandin. I agree. In 1954. She loved horses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, time-traveling Temple Grandin. Yeah, it was. Tune I in would... next week for the next installment in the adventures of time-traveling Temple Grandin. Don't hug me! <laughs> Anyway, Liz loves Temple Bar. She just can't resist going and stroking her snout. Yeah. And, you know, poor, she's like, oh, an instant attraction or something. And I'm like, oh, just get a room, you two. (laughs) And by you two, I mean four horses. (laughs) Which now brings us to our second recurring segment. Tom repeats history with our resident horse whisperer, Tom. (laughs) Hello. Hi, Tom. So I uh, looked into the history of horse racing a bit and more in general uh, horse breeding and, and thoroughbreds and all that sort of thing. You mean horse humping? <laughs> That's Yeah. I, I went to Wikipedia, type in horse humping. <laughs> this page redirects to. <laughs> yeah. So I mean in terms of the history of horse racing, obviously it goes back basically forever. It's about the oldest sport there is. Um, it kind of really became uh, an aristocratic thing over uh, – the course of a few kings, but mainly Charles II, who was the partyinest king that England has possibly ever had. I mean, wouldn't you be if you were Charles II? <laughs> and you're like, oh, you killed my dad. Started at the bottom. Now I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna live it up. <laughs> um, 
so thoroughbreds are all descended from one of three uh, original stallions that was imported from uh, Arabia. What? Yes. That's insane. Yeah. They were the Byerly Turk, the Darley Arabian, and the Godolphin Arabian. So racist. <laughs> um, each had... I time traveling temple grand and has to say about that <laughs> yeah and in each of those lines actually either the the son or grandson if that's how you refer to a horse but um the foal or grand foal yeah sure uh wound up being the only uh surviving one in that line so you could also say that they're all descended from either herod eclipse or matcham uh and eclipse was like uh, the second book in, no, the third book in Stephanie Meyer's Twilight series. Right. And, uh, obviously the owner was a big fan of the Twilight series. <laughs> actually, actually the, uh, eclipse was full during a solar eclipse is how he, oh. you know, he got the name. Uh, he was incredibly dominant, never lost a race. Uh, he, there's a story told that when uh, they were, he hadn't, he hadn't had his first race yet, but like the r- word was out that this horse was like super fast. And so the owners scheduled a trial run for him against another horse. The bookmakers found out about this and went to try to get there, but it was too late. They'd missed their chance. Uh, They did ask around and found a woman that said, well, there was two horses and one of them was chasing the other one. And I don't think he would have caught him if they had just run all the way around the world or something like that. (laughs) And so the bookmakers were like, all right, here's the real deal. This crazy old woman. (laughs) She sounds like the lady washing the cat in the Simpsons movie. Who incidentally also reminds me of your mother. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> uh, it was famously uh, in a race. Uh, somebody bet money on the uh, – was asked, okay, who are you betting for? And he said, Eclipse first and the rest nowhere, which was a term at the time. If you lost by more than 240 yards, you were considered nowhere. Okay. And the, it paid off. And so X first and the rest nowhere in Britain is occasionally a term used for a dominating win. In horse racing or elsewhere? Horse racing in particular, but also it can be applied in other situations. Okay. This is my understanding. I'm not English myself, and that might be like super. What? <laughs> but now we're really getting divorced. Um, I just thought you had a great American accent. <laughs> Didn't want to burst your bubble. I'm like, oh, he thinks he's people. Uh, so eventually the, the classic races were developed, which are their, the sort of equivalent of the Triple Crown in America. And they were the St. Leisure Stakes in, started in 1776, the Epsom Oaks in 79, and the Epsom Derby, Derby, I assume, in 1780. Derby. <laughs> right. Uh, to which, in the 1800s were added the 2,000 guinea and the 1,000 guinea races. So those are the five uh, matches that are the classics. Uh, but two of them, the Epsom Oaks and the 1,000 guinea, are only open to fillies. So, yeah. So if you're... Uh, a dude. A dude horse. Feminism hurts men. <laughs> I just want to say, so as soon as you started like listing those races, the same thing that happens to me when I try to watch football <laughs> or read about a battle in a book... Or see a battle on, I just, mm-hmm. I'm like, what, when is this over? Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I thought when, um, when they were at Epsom and winning the race, I thought it would be the Epsom Derby, but it was not. Ariel actually finished second in that. <gasps> um, and that's 
and uh, that was the previous year. That's only open to three-year-olds. The race that we saw Ariel winning was the uh, Coronation Cup that takes place at the same uh, track as the Epsom Derby and on the same day. It's just a different okay, like age class. Uh, so <clears throat> they in the early 20th century, they became concerned in England that too many American thoroughbreds were coming over and like – Stealing their jobs. Stealing their jobs, essentially, yeah. So they passed the- Their ger- jobs of being incredibly <laughs> expensive horses who run for the amusement of the rich. Right. So they passed the Jersey Act, which stated that no horse could be imported into England unless every one of its ancestors could be traced back to the general stud book, which has been kept since 1793 to track all thoroughbreds. Um uh, and so that meant most Americans couldn't because their stud book started a hundred years later. So a lot of them had, you know, like, you know, any, if they could trace their ancestors Young back. Stud, yeah. get out of my base. <laughs> In any case, uh, it. My love for you <laughs> is way out of place. It kind of backfired a bit, and in 1949, they relaxed it so that you only had to have all your ancestors in the general stud book going back nine generations. So, okay. Yeah. Uh, some fun facts about, uh, uh, the, the breeding, uh, in a thoroughbred, uh, you can only be a thoroughbred, not only with all the other criteria, but you must have a live cover, uh, which means no artificial insemination, no embryo transfer, no anything. It's oh, gotta wow. be actual horse sex that produces a thoroughbred. <laughs> it's, it's the rules. Um, <laughs> This reminds me of when I once read a pig semination catalog. <laughs> Were you there that yes, day? Yes, I was. Yeah. <laughs> Man, freeze cafe. R.I.P. <laughs> um, and we see her in this episode say something like 40 a year, uh, but they've improved. They didn't sp- specify how they've done this, and I don't want to know, but uh, studs can cover as many as 200 a year in modern times. Well, I mean, I imagine, you know, transport has sped up. Oh, yeah, quite that's a true. Bit. Could be. Um, given the fact that they're so, that they're all descended from these same three stallions, and actually 95% of them, uh, can trace their male ancestor, like their Y chromosome, back to, uh, the Darley Arabian. And even among the, the foundation mares, there's a slightly larger number, but still it was something like 78% of horses come from one of 10 uh, original mares. So they do have health problems. Um, I was just going to ask, are they all rickety? Yes, they are. One in 10 has orthopedic problems. Uh, and in America, on average, two horses a day have a career-ending breakdown. During a race. It seems cruel to horses. It does seem cruel to horses. Many people feel this way. Uh, you know, who could, uh, many people feel this way, which is why the television series Luck is no longer on the air. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, you know, they also have small hooves compared to other breeds of horses, Mm -hmm. which also doesn't help with that. Um, and yeah, so there's, there's definitely some downsides to inbreeding so it's boring and dangerous yes boring and dangerous <laughs> um but yeah that's that's about all i had to say about it that's about all i wanted to hear that's so perfect <laughs> thank you tom you're welcome so good news everyone it's winston churchill's birthday november 30th 
I'm so mad he was born in November. <laughs> Could you have waited one day, Mon Churchill? <laughs> Uh, and Clemmy wakes up her darling old pug by singing him happy birthday. I love her so much. Mm-hmm. She's so great. Yes. It is adorable. Yes, it is. Um, Churchill like is getting up and he looks every bit his 80 years and then some. Yeah. I'm like, is he going to die yeah. like right now? Uh, spoiler alert, he does not die for 10 more years. No. Uh, he goes downstairs and his staff sing happy birthday around an enormous cake with a ridiculous number. It looks like more than 80 candles <laughs> it does. to me. Which seems like a fire hazard, but whatever. But he blows out one candle. He's like, what? And I'm like, is this a joke? I think he's just specifying that, you know, he... He, he got one? <laughs> I suppose so. Anyway, they all sing He's a Jolly Good Fellow, uh, which is different in the UK than it is in the United States. Yeah. And I find that irritating. <laughs> Stop it. I mean, and so say all of us. That's not as cool as and no, uh, that nobody can deny. That's... I- Drawing a line, it's like, no. Yeah. This guy, jolly good fellow. Yeah. We're not just saying it. We believe it. We're just saying, if you don't think he's a jolly good fellow, you better be ready to catch these hands. <laughs> you are wrong. <laughs> As the queen mom watches Churchill on TV, and we see Michael Ledeen turning it on. It's such a random shit. Like, she's yeah. not in the, ep- in the rest no. of this episode. At his- <laughs> it's just like, and then there's mom. <laughs> Yeah. Like, why? Who ca- I don't care what she's doing. Is she painting anything? No. Is she studying a mare? No. Get out of here. If it doesn't involve oil paint or horse sex, we're not interested. <laughs> that should be the new tagline for this podcast. Just oil painting and horse sex. We might get more Twitter followers that way. <laughs> yeah, but not quality ones. Um... Yeah, it, and Liz didn't go, which is weird, and there, there must, I actually kind of meant to look into this, because they said it was the same day that Parliament opened, and the Queen has a keys ceremonial role. That was my question, but maybe the ceremony was, because she said they were combining events. Yeah. So it may not have been, like, the actual opening of Parliament. Right. You know, I, whatever. It, it, well, it was everything just Everything I know about British Parliament is from those sketches that Will Ferrell used to do, where he'd always, like, introduce ridiculous things in the House of uh, Commons or Lords. Yeah. And he'd be like, he's the Prime Minister. <laughs> you like, always try to get them to say that Oasis was better than the Beatles. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So. Hopefully not- somebody else also really enjoyed that, <laughs> as I did. I don't think anybody except me and that one other person enjoyed it, because <laughs> it was always on real late. <laughs> Uh, so at the event itself, Churchill waddles in as pomp and cir- as pomp and circumstance plays. It's like is he graduating? <laughs> From so this- clearly, pomp and circumstance has a different connotation right. in Britain. He is graduating. He is graduating from politics and shortly life. Um, <laughs> in ten years. Well, I know, but that you wouldn't think so. Uh, so he hobbles up the stairs, and Clemmy helps him. I love her. I know. And Churchill gives a speech about. He gives this whole speech. It's like, oh, resignation is in the air, and I'm not going to resign. Fuck all y'all. <laughs> um, Direct quote. Yeah. <laughs> kind of a surprise. Um, he, uh, yeah, A&E sitting right next to him. Uh, He's like, I'm going to pretend I'm amused, but I am not amused. Yeah. Uh, and discussing the portrait, he wonders if it's a gift or if it's a curse. And uh, then unveils it and looks at it for a bit uh, and not a fan. 
clearly. Um, and then turns back to the audience and says, a fine patriotic piece of modern art. Which is, he didn't say patriotic, I don't think, but he did basically say this. Mm-hmm. And he had seen a photo of the painting yeah, before. Which that's, it's a big change, but it, you, you, like, it clearly makes the episode work better this way. I am far more disturbed by the fact that that is not a painting of John Lithgow as Winston Churchill. It is clearly a painting of the guy who played Julian on As Time Goes By. <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong, people. Tell me I'm wrong. They couldn't get Lithgow to sit for it. And they were like, well, hey, this guy. You're around, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, I mean, it's a good painting. Yeah, it I agree. Looks, you know, the suspension of disbelief that is required to be like, yeah, that looks like you. <laughs> playing this guy <laughs> right i mean you know it's way better uh than the paintings in mr selfish <laughs> yeah. shelby bush did those incidentally <sighs> <laughs> oh <laughs> are we still doing this <laughs> so we see sutherland driving back to chartwell and churchill uh in the sitting room asks why he's there and Sutherland's like, yeah, I uh, heard you rejected my painting. <laughs> and Churchill says that it is not a painting. It is a humiliation. He says it looks like he's taking a poop. <laughs> <laughs> Which I don't think, I mean, it just looks like he's old, man. Anyway, so Sutherland's like, um, that was paid for by the Joint Houses of Parliament. Which, like, one, do you know how hard it is to get either one individually <laughs> to do anything? And he says it's a sign of respect, this painting. Um, but Churchill says that it's an attack on him from the individualistic left. Yeah. And, um, Sullivan says, look, I took this commission because I admire you and I admire you even more now than I did before I started. Uh, he's like, art's not personal. Don't overreact to this. Like sit with it for a little while. Yeah. And Winston Churchill says it's cruel. And this might be the best line reading yeah. in the whole series yeah. because it's almost, it's like he totally forgets who he's taught. Like he's mm-hmm, not, mm-hmm. he just doesn't understand why Churchill doesn't, he's just like, age is cruel. And I'm like, it really is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he's like, oh, I, this is, the rest of this is just me quote. I can't be blamed for what is. If you're in a fight with something, then it's not with me. It's with your own blindness. Yeah. And when he says that, Churchill looks as if he has been shot. And I am not using that as like sim like he literally looks like somebody <laughs> shot him with a gun. Yeah. And he sits down and he says he thinks Sutherland should go and Sutherland goes and it's such a great scene. Mm-hmm. I would say just this in combination with the previous thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's just such a it, you know, it's almost British. Yeah. The the transformation that he mm-hmm. undergoes physically when he hears that. Yeah. And you know, and it's not, it's not that other people haven't been saying this to him. Mm-hmm. It's that he doesn't have a defense mechanism built up around this guy. Mm-hmm. He hasn't figured out a way to discredit him yet. You know, mm-hmm. because with Clementine, he can be like, oh, she's just a woman. She's my wife. She worries too much. With Antony, it's his own ambition. Yeah, you know, yeah. with the queen, she's young and foolish and needs his wisdoms. Um, you know, the British people are all just a bunch of individualistic <laughs> liberals. He can discredit everyone except for this person. Yeah. And I'm sure that he could... 
if he, you know, yeah. tried. But he got in there before he got that, mm-hmm. you know, calcified yeah. shield up. Yeah. And it's just, it's just great. Because I was reflecting yesterday. I was like, oh, man, I'm going to be, like, middle-aged soon. <laughs> and I was like, this fucking sucks. <laughs> And then, like, it happens to every. You just yeah. think it's not going to happen to you. No, no. And you're like, well, at least I have this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Please follow us on Twitter. We have something to live for. <laughs> I don't care if you engage. <laughs> um, so Churchill says to Clemmy that he is that man in that painting and that he cannot go on. Um, and she like is like, are you really sure you're really you're really gonna quit this time? Because he's, he's sa- clearly said this a million times. To yes. Her. Um, and he says, yes, he's sure. I really will retire. And she says, and I'm glad. And she is so fucking unflappable. Yeah. Why can't I just be more like Clemmy? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, she's had uh, years of practice to get this way. <sighs> I guess that's true, but I'll never be that patient. <laughs> It's not in my constitution. <laughs> I'll always be more of a Churchill than a Clemmy. <laughs> so Churchill arrives to tender his resignation to Liz. Uh, she says uh, that there were a few times when she might have wished that he was retiring before. Um, but she goes on to praise the service to Great Britain. This is also a great scene. Yes, it is. Um and I missed it on the rewatch because I was doing something. So I'm trying to remember what happened. Oh, yeah. Because um, he basically says like, oh, you know, Anthony might stop cursing me for two days <laughs> until he gets the job. A job that no man wants and can ever succeed at before he starts cursing me again. <laughs> and then Liz, Liz pops back with, it might be wise not to tell him that before he starts. And I'm like, ha that's your second joke <laughs> of all time. That's right. <laughs> Porchy likes my jokes. <laughs> He's a horse breeder. <laughs> Known for their sense of humor. Yeah, well, yeah, that's her, that's her second non-horse related joke. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, this will be their last audience and Liz is sad. Uh, but Churchill says that... He has nothing more to teach her, and that is why it is time for him to leave. That's not why. It's because you're old and you took a poop in that painting. <laughs> um, and the country doesn't like you anymore. <laughs> but yeah, that's well, fine. Well, as Sutherland what said, it, uh, he finds that people rarely have an idea of who they really yeah. are. Whatever you got to say to get through this. Um, so he kisses her forehead and heads out. And that seems unlikely because the real Churchill was only 5'6", and... Mm-hmm. Liz was only 5'4", which is my height. <laughs> um, guys, I'm basically the queen. Yeah, I'm 5'6", as far I as that goes. I mean, I guess I mean, I mean, guess he could have, but it just seems like when your height differential isn't that great, like kissing somebody on the forehead is just weird. Yeah. I mean, I found it kind of weird in any case, personally. They don't have that kind of... No, and that... This is where this performance stops being great. Because <laughs> it's like, oh, Lithgow's back. <laughs> Briefly, I was transported. I, was, I know that Churchill wasn't this height. Fucking John Lithgow's too tall. Makes me so angry. Even Philip Seymour Hoffman. I'm glad he's dead. I just feel bad for Toby Jones. I know. We've been over this. I know. On this podcast. I know. <laughs> 
car pulls up right behind Churchill's. I'm like, were you idling? <laughs> did they just like, or did they time it down to the minute so that you wouldn't interact? Yeah. But Churchill gets out of the car to go shake A and E's hand. So I guess that turned out all right. No, yeah, sure. Ah, uh, so let's, oh no, the Queen Mom wasn't this again. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Okay. So, but it still doesn't explain why they right. showed her drinking. Yeah. Except that she drinks all the time. <laughs> right. So Liz is thinking about renaming London Airport after Winston Churchill, but uh, the Queen Mom says uh, that something more personal would be for her and Philip to have dinner at uh, 10 Downing Street. And so she says that, well, okay, I'll ask Philip. And the Queen Mom says, no, you'll tell Philip. It's like we have to raise her. Uh, so then, then they go into the stable, uh, Liz and Philip, where the covering is taking place. And Philip can just fuck right off and go to hell. He I, is so, like, this is the one thing besides you, apparently, <laughs> that this woman has mm-hmm. that isn't micromanaged by a bunch of smelly old dudes. Yeah. And he is so rude and disrespect. I mean, I assume they want quiet right. so that, you know, the horse doesn't have erectile dysfunction or whatever. Yeah. Oh, my God. But he says, you know, they're, they're like sniffing around and mm-hmm. nosing around each other. And he says, rather like us, darling, when we were courting. And I'm like, that is so. Yeah. There is a context where saying something like that would be okay. Right. It is not here. Yeah. It is not right now. No. It is not to your wife, the queen, in front of a bunch of strangers. One of whom is paying a bunch of money to fuck her horse. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm not going to... You understand what I mean. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so, yeah. The the horses do it. Um, <laughs> it's so upsetting. <laughs> yeah. I really don't like watching animals have sex. <laughs> yeah. But, I don't think that they can consent. I mean, it was uh, less upsetting than the horse sex featured on Silicon Valley. I'll say that. Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll have to revisit. Yeah. Uh, so Liz says, well done, Porchy. It seems to have all been a good horse sex situation. And um, Philip make some comment about the fact that Porchy got a direct line, which he found out when he tried to get one for his great escape friend and was denied. Uh, correctly. Yeah. And he gets all mad. He's like, they said he couldn't have one because he's not a family member. And I'm like, and you're not the fucking queen. Right. Yeah. And you're she, the queen's ottoman. Yeah. No, because he says something about how they wouldn't let me. And she's like, yeah, I know. I'm Yeah. Like, you can't have that. Sorry. <laughs> and um, also your friend's a dick. You're a dick. You're a pair of dicks. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, uh, she said, and she says, Porchy is family. He's like part of the furniture. Philip says, well, as long as you don't sit on him anytime soon. Uh, so rude. Yeah. The worst thing, just absurd. Yeah. Uh, Porchy asks if Liz is all right, and she says, hmm. <laughs> like, no, but it's more, it's more, hmm. Like she's, you know, she's still faking it. Mm hmm. And uh, so she goes and angrily sits in the truck with Philip. And then we see Liz getting all gussied up for dinner, wearing her blue sash thing with mm-hmm. all her medals and shit. And she asks her maid to leave. And then she turns and delivers this totally devastating monologue yeah. about how Philip is the only person that she's ever loved. Whatever he might think about Porchy, he's a friend. That's it. That's mm-hmm. all it's ever been. 
and she says that yes it probably would have been easier to be married to him mm-hmm. but she fell in love with him yeah and then she says and can you i'm gonna do the accent <laughs> and can you honestly look me in the eye and say the same and he can't yeah because he's in love with mike <laughs> <laughs> i mean he's you know he's fucked around clearly yeah i mean uh, i don't think anybody goes out late at night without their spouse as often as he does mm-hmm. and ain't fucking yeah yeah uh so yeah it's just like and th- that's like that's the thing about this episode well as we're finishing it out here but the liz like the a plot with the painting hides this sort of like development in the b plot between liz and philip that mm-hmm. all just kind of explodes here at the end so um at downing street Liz gives Liz gives a nice little speech about it's Churchill. It's much nicer than the one that she just gave Philip. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and and Churchill's really like this. Wor- this worked. This is the mm-hmm. compliment that Liz wanted it to be. Um, and he, you know, and him and Clemmy are sitting across the table, and it's it's all very sweet. Clemmy has a tiara. Yes. Uh, the only person, you know, <laughs> the only fly in the proverbial ointment. Yeah, is Philip, who is leaning forward with his elbows on the table like a jackass, and unlike anybody else in the whole room. Uh, you know what? I don't care if he was only the prince of fucking Greece and Denmark. <laughs> you know, not to sit like this at a state function, yeah. which this essentially is. Yeah. Yeah. You put on all your medals, dickbag. <laughs> I hate him. Yes. As much as I love Clemmy, that's as much as I hate Philip. Yeah. Uh, and then Philip, he, he mouths something that is not subtitled to her. Uh, and then he's leaning back and it begins cutting back and forth between them having a, you know, un, unheard but violent argument in that truck. Violent in the sense yeah, yeah, of yeah. verb. Like, yeah, there's ver- no hitting. But, yeah. like, it ends with him angrily getting out of the truck and storming off yeah and i just that because this is really clever and i didn't feel like it was a cheat because like they have the you know you know we saw them get in the truck and i just assumed that nothing happened but then you're like fuck yeah yeah no the choice to like mess with that chronology that little bit so smart yeah it really it's part of why this is my favorite episode yeah yeah uh, and we also intercut it with uh, Churchill's portrait being burned at Chartwell. Um, and Clemmy looks sad looking at it. This mm-hmm. is weird because this is also inaccurate. Right. Um, so in reality, I think it was about a year or so before the painting was actually burned. And Clemmy actually had some servants take it out in pieces in the middle of the night and burn it at different locations. <laughs> so it's not to have sent Winston. <laughs> But I mean, I like I like this. Because oh yeah, yeah. She it's it looks to you know she's doing it and she doesn't want to do it, but mm-hmm. she's doing it. Mm-hmm. And I just well, Harriet wa- and it, the way I read it when I watched it was that Churchill had told some servant to go burn it, and mm-hmm. Clemmy didn't know about it oh. and saw it. You know, that's how it read to me, but yeah. I'm not sure. Look, I mean, my point is Harriet yeah. Walters crushing this. Yes, there's at least sixty different interpretations. Just based on what plays across her face. Yeah. And I wish that she could get nominated for an Emmy for this, mm-hmm. but she won't because of Princess Margaret. Yeah. But like, fucking Jesus. Yeah. Like, she's so good. She really is. If it is. were a miniseries and not, you know, mm-hmm. a, a series, mm-hmm. you know, she could get nominated as a featured actress for mm-hmm. a miniseries, mm-hmm. but I don't... Can you get nominated? Yes, you can. As okay. a featured actress. And anyway, well, I, I hope she, There's a million fucking Emmys, so... Although she probably won't because they'd probably give it to the Queen Mum, but I think she's just... Oh yeah, I agree. She's like the Judy Dench of this show. It's yeah, great. I'm I'm all about it. 
And that's the end of this episode. There's only one left. Yeah. And I mean, we know from reality <laughs> that Liz and Philip don't split up. Right. But it's like, ugh. <laughs> yeah. Well, and we know they have two more kids. Yeah. After this. Yeah. So clearly they made up long enough for that. Yeah. Um, but I mean, this is, you know, this is like a serious argument. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I hope that she gets a backbone and is like, hey, quit being a drunken lout all the time <laughs> and cheating on like. Yeah. And I know, you know, it's like it just makes me so sad because I know like, the point of these shows is like, oh, you know, people in power, they're just like us. But I'm like, nah, <laughs> she should be like, I'm the queen. Yeah. You don't get to cheat on me. Yeah. But I mean, she wants to be like a regular ass wife. Mm hmm. But that means that he's going to cheat on you because mm-hmm. it's the 50s. Yeah. And that's how that works. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah. I really loved this. Mm-hmm. It was so great. I was totally engaged the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't angry <laughs> about, you know, what anybody was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't think the monarchy was pointless briefly. <laughs> uh, so it was great. I yeah. liked it a lot. Uh, yeah. As did I, obviously. It was... Yeah. I mean, it's... Yeah. The, these... Already there have been a few episodes, but the the consistent run of the last few episodes justified the season for yeah. me at this point. I mean, barring a complete collapse in season in episode ten, I was like in season. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, that brings us to the end. We'll be back with episode ten next week, and until next time, up, up yours, yours downstairs. downstairs. Luncheon out. <laughs>